0: SBS audio is supported by advertising. SBS, a world
1: of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online, and on radio.
2: We acknowledge the traditional
3: owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, Burundi people of the Kulin Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater.
0: Yama, and welcome to Night TV Radio. Coming up in your program uh, this Wednesday, the 15th of February, we have a conversation with uh, Tammy Anderson from uh, AIDS Public School in Sydney's Southeast, Southeast Exploring the Cultural Cycle Conference taking place today at her school. The event is bringing together leaders from three First Nations cultures to share their knowledge and help improve educational outcomes for Aboriginal, Maori and Pacifica students. On the NITV Radio today, we also turn our attention to female Indigenous deaths in custody. In a conversation with the University of Queensland uh, professor Tamara Walsh, as she takes us through damning findings of a study that she led, indicating that many Indigenous deaths in custody were preventable. We also look at the NT's response to recent reports of increased violent crime in early springs. As you'll hear... The Parliament was expected to quickly pass an overhaul of alcohol laws. All these stories and more, coming to you on NITV Radio after the latest news. Bertrand Tungandame I am Bertrand Tungandame. Australia
3: Day 1972
4: saw the first Aboriginal Embassy erected outside
1: Parliament The native title... The they've walked this land so many times before anybody came I'm
0: sorry in this bulletin Northern Territory passes legislation reinstating alcohol bans throughout the Territory, a first since the 2007 intervention, the Reserve Bank of Australia questioned on interest rate hikes and a visit from the Vanuatu Prime Minister. Territory Parliament has passed new legislation reinstating alcohol bans throughout the Territory in what the Territory opposition is calling a policy backflip from the Labour Party. The legislation passed Parliament last night and is expected to take effect by the end of the week. The renewed bans mean that takeaway alcohol will once again be prohibited in Aboriginal town camps and remote communities that lost those rights following the controversial 2007 intervention the opposition country liberal party supported the legislation despite opposition whip josh Burgoyne, telling sky news that northern territory chief minister natasha files was refusing to admit her government's mistake
1: here in the northern territory essentially opened the floodgates to alcohol in july of last year and what we've seen since then is a supercharging in crime statistics and this week in parliament Labor have to backflip, they have to go back on their ideology-based policy and basically say that they got it wrong. Unfortunately, the Chief Minister has been far from admitting that.
0: The Reserve Bank of Australia's Governor, Philip Law, is now facing parliamentary scrutiny following a series of recent interest rate hikes. It comes following a ninth interest rate hike to counter inflation, with a recent lift to 3.35% last week, the latest increase in this policy cycle. The central bank has forecast more interest rates, rate rises to combat inflation, which rose by 7.8% annually in the December quarter. Mr Law claims that uh, the job of the Reserve Bank is to make sure that inflation keeps going down.
3: The, uh, the decision making really is um, around the, the first centre point is the inflation target and the inflation outcomes. I mean, inflation at the moment, 7.8%, is way too high. It needs to come down. So that's um, our primary consideration. When we take our decisions each month, we're looking at the the data on inflation, the data on the labour market, how household spending is evolving and how the global economy is evolving.
0: The CBA, Commonwealth Bank of Australia, has reported a record half-year profit due to rising interest rates and home and business lending growth. The lending giant recorded a cash profit of $5.15 billion, which is a 9% increase from the previous year. CBA chief executive Matt Montgomery attributed the results to volume growth and recovery in margins as interest rates rose from historic lows. Spokespeople in Parliament are calling for vigilance around skin health as the Parliamentary Friends of Melanoma and Sin Cancer Awareness Group launched in Canberra today. Skin checks can help identify early melanomas or other types of dangerous cancers, according to Cancer Council Australia. The Australian Institute of Health and Welfare estimated skin cancer accounts for 11% of new cancer diagnoses in 2022. Education Minister Jason Clare says it's crucial to be proactive with your own skin health.
1: Over the last few years, a lot of people have put off getting their own skin check, And that's partly because of COVID, but that means that a lot of people have got skin cancer still on their bodies that are growing. So we want to encourage Australians right across the country today to go and book a skin check with your
0: GP. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has welcomed his Vanuatu counterparts to parliament months after signing a security deal with the Pacific Island nation. Alatoi Ishmael Kalsakao's arrival was greeted with a gun salute as he inspected the Guard of Honor in the parliamentary forecast for court. The Vanuatu Prime Minister is joined by his Trade and Business Minister and his Agriculture Minister with discussions also set to cover trade cooperation. Mr Albanese says his government would listen to Vanuatu's concerns as it tackles natural disasters and the impacts of climate change.
1: Our relations are very important and today I'll be uh, listening uh, to what we can do to assist your Economic development. Of course, we have a common interest as part of the Pacific family in security issues, and I very much welcome uh, the signing of the landmark uh, bilateral security agreement uh, that we
0: have made. The first cross-sectoral meeting involving banks, telecommunications companies and social media platforms has been held today to address growing issues of scams and consumer fraud. Earlier this year, Ernst and Young reported that scams may cost the Australian economy as much as $4 billion in 2022. According to the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, a scam is a way of tricking people into handing over money or personal details. Minister for Financial Services Stephen Jones says a coordinated approach is needed between all relevant entities to effectively tackle this issue.
5: So the challenge, setting up a national anti-scam centre, ensuring that we can act quickly and in real time when we see these frauds and scams out in the field, acting quickly to shut them down, to ensure the telecommunications companies, if they're getting the stuff coming through on their systems, can alert the banks Social media platforms are pulling things down when we need to to ensure that we're not spreading the information about these insidious
0: scams. The Greens have agreed to support a key component of the federal government's climate policy in exchange for a promise to halt new coal and gas projects. The government has devised a safeguard mechanism to limit pollution from Australia's 215 largest polluters. If the bill is approved by Parliament, companies that emit more than the allowed amount will be required to purchase carbon offset credits or trade emissions with other companies. Even though Greens leader Adam Band has reservations about other aspects of the plan, he says the party will put those reservations aside if the government agrees to stop approving new coal and gas projects. A major bushfire continues to challenge firefighters in Queensland's Western Downs region as blazes damage dozens of structures in the regional area. Emergency warnings have been downgraded to watch and act notices for residents to the north of the small town of Miles, about 300 kilometres northwest of Brisbane. Queensland Fire and Emergency Services State Coordinator Steve DePinto told Channel 7 it's been a huge effort to control the situation. It has been, been
1: very busy and the state's under pressure. It's sort of not unusual for a state like Queensland and last night we had the SES uh, reported to uh, have attended about 70 incidents and then as you know we've got the fires out in, in southwest Queensland being quite a, a diverse state. It often happens you have both extremes at the same time.
0: Queensland continues to bear the brunt of wild weather conditions as the Bureau of Meteorology issues a severe weather warning for heavy rainfall in North Queensland. Extreme rainfall is expected to hit Cape York Peninsula and will will slowly extend southwards. As cyclone Gabrielle wreaked havoc across New Zealand, Climate Change Minister James Shaw condemns the global lack of action on climate change. At least three cyclone-related deaths have been confirmed with fears that the toll will rise as communications with remote towns cut off by the storm are restored. The Hawkes Bay region appears to be the hardest hit, with approximately 9,000 people displaced as a result of burst rivers and flooding in a string of towns and suburbs. Mr Shaw criticises the lack of climate change action, saying something needs to be done.
1: I don't think I've ever felt as sad or as angry about the lost decades that we spent bickering and arguing about whether climate change was real or not whether it was caused by humans or not, whether it was bad or not, whether we should do something about it uh, or not, because it is clearly uh, here now. Uh, and if we do not act, it will get worse.
0: Former U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Nikki Haley has received approval from supporters following her announcement that she will run against Donald Trump for the presidency of the United States in 2024. The 51-year-old former South Carolina governor and Indian immigrant will run against fellow Republican candidate Donald Trump. Residents of South Carolina, where she was previously governor, believe she is qualified for the position. I think that's amazing. She did a great job here as governor in South Carolina. I think she'd make a fine president. Go for
4: it, Nikki. If you could beat Donald Trump, I'll be happy.
0: Go for it, Nikki. You did a
5: great job in South Carolina. You did a great job at the U.N., love To get you in the White House
0: and to sport, Australian cricketers Georgie Wareham and Meg Lanning have handed defending champions Australia an eight wicket win over Bangladesh at the T20 World Cup. After almost 16 months of due to a brutal ACL injury, Wareham's 320 against Bangladesh helped Australia maintain their unbeaten run at the tournament so far. Australia will face Sri Lanka later this week. And now having a look at the weather around the country this Wednesday afternoon, Broome, partly cloudy, 32, Perth, partly cloudy, 26. Adelaide sunny 35, Melbourne mostly sunny 31, Hobart mostly sunny 26, Albury mostly sunny as well at the top of 28, Canberra partly cloudy 28, Wollongong partly cloudy 25, Sydney much the same 27, Newcastle partly cloudy 27, Brisbane possible shower 29, Townsville cloudy day 29, Canes, a shower of 2.30, early springs, sunny 33, Darwin, a shower of 20, top of 33, and the Troy Strait Islands, a mostly cloudy day, and a top of 30 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News.
5: NITV Radio Monday, Wednesday, Friday at one PM or any time online.
0: I am Bertrand Tungandame, and you're listening to NITV Radio, coming to you from Nam on the Kulin Nation this Wednesday afternoon. Coming up next, uh, we explore damning findings of a report indicating that many Indigenous female deaths in custody were preventable. We also look at the NT's response to recent reports of increased violent crime in early springs. As you'll hear, the parliament is expected to quickly pass an overhaul of alcohol laws. But first, we go to Sydney's southeast, looking at an event bringing together hundreds of First Nations teachers and educators to share knowledges. More than 100 teachers from New South Wales Public Schools turn to students in a cultural circle conference this Wednesday when leaders from three First Nations cultures share their knowledge to help improve educational outcomes for Aboriginal, Maori and Pacifica students. Joining us on NITV Ready Today is Tammy Anderson, Aboriginal Educator, Briar Road Public School Principal. Tammy Anderson is one of the key players in bringing this event together. Welcome to NITV Radio, Tammy.
4: Hi, Bertram. Thanks for having me.
0: Now, take us through the events of uh, this Cultural Cycle Conference, which I believe is uh, the first one of its kind in any public school in uh, New South Wales.
4: Yeah, one of the things that uh, I've had the absolute luxury of is being able to engage in my own culture. And as a result, being able to share that with students and teachers and lead teachers uh, over the last, you know, 20 years of my career, one of the things that we know is that as a as a culture, there are some similarities that we have. And in a space like southwestern Sydney, we have large populations of both Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students and we have large populations of Māori and Pacifica students. And so with the talent that we have in our schools, we wanted to ensure that we gave teaching staff the opportunity to be exposed to and learn from both cultural educators and uh, teaching and learning educators who are of First Nations background uh, in order to support and improve uh, their approaches in classrooms and in their schools. So we've been uh, busy recruiting some of the you know, most valuable assets in our communities and have engaged with a number of uh, fantastic community people, people employed in the education sector, uh, in the hope that we deliver a, a professional learning opportunity that really challenges staff to think deeply about the way we engage First Nations children about the way we have a responsibility and an accountability to improve what it is we know uh, in order to improve the way we teach.
0: And you're bringing together more than 100 teachers, not just from your local area in South East Sydney, not just from the Sydney metropolitan area, but from right across the state.
4: You know, we we thought we would put it out there to the school communities and see see what the interest was I suppose for, for for me and the organizing committee we knew that uh, we'd always seen um, a very big appetite uh, for our teachers to want to learn more and know more and we thought about putting this together and and we knew we'd have some some interest so we went just close by in terms of our school network and we had such an amazing response we didn't really cast a net out nearly as far as we could have, and we had a hundred, um, and had to close off the registrations. So, in the hope that we uh, get great results uh, in terms of the exit surveys, which I'm predicting, we hope to expand this into another, you know, another PL opportunity for staff, um, and, to, and continue to expand both the network uh, and the knowledge.
0: Yeah, and uh, the main takeaway I believe is a. Uh learning and uh, get a better understanding of cultural safety, how important is cultural safety in communities uh, like uh, yours?
4: Yeah, I think one of the things that's emerging in our space of education uh, is the conversation around how we create and how we sustain culturally safe schools. Uh, We know that in order for students to feel like they belong, that as as schools and as educators, we've got a big role to play in the sense of belonging. Uh, It's not enough for children just to know who they are. That's their most amazing starting point. But we have a responsibility to ensure that our structures, uh, our practices, our processes, are very culturally inclusive uh, to ensure that each and every day they walk in the door, that they have the best footing um, for them to get the best possible outcomes, and that goes beyond just making a cultural staff uh, culturally safe school for students. It goes to also creating it for our communities.
0: It's not just a peer-to-peer conference here. You've got uh, also uh, lecturers from uh, universities and uh, people from um, the Department of Education uh, also taking part in uh, this, uh, as well as uh, uh, First Nations elders. Yeah, we we
4: decided that we would... really try and give a cross-section in terms of its impact we wanted to have a high quality and we were fortunate enough to engage uh, nathan towney who's uh he's a pro vice chancellor at the university of newcastle leads indigenous strategy and uh, to couple with him in a keynote is david lakisa of tulanoa consultancy and uh, both those gentlemen are former educators and still in the education space They both worked in high schools. And uh, so for us, we know that uh, the high school is an important space in terms of engagement and belonging for Aboriginal and Pacifica and Maldi children. So we decided that they would be uh, just a fundamental and important addition to the day and so they've uh, thankfully agreed to come along and we're looking forward to it. We then have some workshops which will cover off uh, both strategizing for success with schools so it's more of a focus on the strategies that schools can implement in order to have and experience success. And then the second round of workshops around uh, cultural competency and developing cultural knowledge of staff. And we have a number of community people, both in Aboriginal Pacifica and Māori, presenting at that workshop. So people will be able to choose between the two. At the end of the day, we're going to cap off with Uncle Bob Morgan, and uh, he's going to talk about our purpose and the commitment to ensuring that, you know, each and every day we're at our best as educators. And he's got an expansive history in education in, in New South Wales, across Australia and internationally. So we really have an amazing uh, roundup of speakers and that's coupled with, um, you know, a fantastic hungry uh, for lunch and uh, a way to bring people together is always through food. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, definitely, Hangi is something that uh, had I been able to come there, just Hangi itself would have attracted me to the
4: conference. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, because
0: I'm calling from Melbourne, but oh, when I saw well, we Hangi... Oh, wish you were closer. <laughs>
4: yeah.
0: I, and I used to live in the area. I know the area really well, So you know well. the
4: context that, that I talk
0: of? I know the context. I lived there. I know the local issues. I used to shop in Minto, where there's a huge Maori community. So I yeah. know the local uh, dynamics very, very well. Some of the yeah. areas are considered as uh, trouble. Has the situation actually improved? Because about 10, 15 years ago, the local youth were known to be some of the most uh, troublesome in Campbelltown area. Has it improved in the in, in the ensuing mm-hmm. years?
4: Yeah, I think there's been a lot of work with some really instrumental community people, Uh, you know, a lot of Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people in our community who've worked hard with our youth around engagement, and I think people like Fire Jan out of the Macquarie Fields community, she'll be present tomorrow, and having the stalwarts the elders from both our Pacifica, Māori and Aboriginal community, I think is really important for teachers. Some teachers don't get the opportunity to engage with community, uh, like uh, for some of us who are Aboriginal, we get that opportunity all the time. And so it's wonderful to be able to open up that space and create a space where people feel comfortable enough to start to make meaningful relationships, which in turn will, will better their schools.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a uh, sounds like a, an excellent program. I wish I still lived there because uh, I spent actually some of my best years in Australia, living in Campbelltown.
4: Yeah, I think we're very fortunate. You know, some people, depending on how you want to take, uh, you know, a space like ours, a home like ours. For the people that live here, people like me are born and bred in Eds. Um, my my grandmother and my father's country. I'm Biripai woman, but I haven't had that luxury of living on the country. But here uh, is where I've been born and raised and it's one of the most diverse but the most rich uh, in terms of community. So it's a really nice to take an area that I've been passionate about with a team of people who are passionate about ensuring that our outcomes are bettered. Uh, for our children overall and bring it together in a conference that looks different somewhat to, to other conferences that we've seen. And it's fantastic that the Department of Education are so open for us to us trying different things and this is a space to try something different. And I think it's definitely got uh, validity for moving it forward and growing it.
0: And I must say, the education sector is growing and thriving in uh, your area. Uh, a few years back, when I lived there, Western Sydney Uni Campus was just a small little bunch of uh, uh, small buildings. But now it's a full blown uh, campus, and the Cumbleton Hospital, still when I lived there, I was slated to become a teaching hospital as well. So your area is really booming and uh, thriving. One can go from kindergarten to university without ever leaving the local area.
4: We, in our community of Airds, you know, we've got our um, independent Aboriginal multifunction children's centres, we've got our primary schools that uh, have large populations of Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander, Pacifica, Māori um, and lots of other cultures present. We've also got our Aboriginal Medical Service which is a teaching uh, medical service and one of only in the southwest we are the only ones out here. So we're very fortunate in our school community to have such amazing resources that, um, you know, help us uh, and certainly have bettered our outcomes for our people.
0: And it's said that the, this Wednesday's event is the first time, a rare opportunity for Maori, Pacifica, and Aboriginal educators to come together and uh, share their experiences. Uh, it's the first time ever.
4: For us, it's just an opportunity to, to share what we know as, as Aboriginal people, what, what works best uh, in schools, but also an opportunity to create some space for our brothers and sisters across the Tasman to be able to share what has worked in their communities. And whilst it might look different, I think that fundamentally it's a teacher's responsibility uh, to grow their professional practice in knowing how all students learn uh, and culturally being able to identify differences and then adjust your teaching just will make you a better teacher.
0: Yeah, Tammy Anderson, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today about uh, this uh, exciting conference, the Cultural Cycle Conference.
4: We appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. Join the
5: conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio.
0: I'm joined by Professor Tamara Walsh of the University of Queensland to take us through the findings of a new and comprehensive study into deaths in custody, a study whose findings are damning when it comes to Indigenous female deaths in custody. Welcome to NITV Radio, Professor Walsh.
3: Thank you.
0: Happy to be here. Professor Walsh, now the findings of your study that have just been uh, released indicate that Indigenous women who died in custody, the majority of them had never been sentenced and uh, in many cases were just in remand or in custody for their own protection and uh, their deaths would have been prevented if proper care had been taken.
3: Yeah, that's right. I think that was the most disturbing finding really of this research was just how many of these women needed care and support. And really, many of them should have been in hospital rather than being in police cells or in prisons. And I think the important thing that we noted about this is that actually, when it comes to women's deaths in custody, they're more likely to be in police custody than men. So whereas... Um, for men, they're more likely to be in prison. Women are much more likely to be in police custody when they die, and I think that's a really important thing to note because it means that it does lead us to ask why these women were in police cells in the first place. Uh, and for most of them, they hadn't yet been charged with anything. Uh, they were there. Some of them were there for their own protection, in inverted commas, because they were intoxicated. Uh, at least two of them were there uh, associated with domestic violence a domestic violence incident, and in fact two of the women died directly as a result of the injuries they sustained in a domestic violence incident. So we're not talking about women who pose a huge danger to the community as much as women who are very, very distressed and unwell and need medical care rather than being in police custody.
0: This is really befuddling that women who find themselves in custody for often inconsequential things end up uh, losing their lives.
3: Mm. And that's what, I mean, we see it all the time. When when we see women die in custody, we see it in the media. Um, Women who advocate for criminalised women will say it over and over again. What we find with women who are criminalised is that they tend to be criminalised for very minor crimes, Uh, The most common crime that women are charged with is theft, shoplifting, drug offences. For Indigenous women, one of the main offences they're charged with is street offences, so public drunkenness, drunken disorderly. Uh, These are the kinds of things that women are charged with, and so it necessarily means that if we charge a lot of women with those offences and put them in custody for them, tragically some of them will die. The, The very sad thing about our research is that A, yes, the women shouldn't be there in the first place because they are invariably been charged with minor crimes, but B, if they are there and they are unwell, then something needs to be done to provide them with assistance and support because as soon as you put someone in custody, you're removing any chance they have to make decisions about their own welfare. So they can't just go and grab a pill they can't get on a fight and ask for help they're completely dependent on the people who are um, in charge of them and so it means that they can't exercise any agency in their own health care and it also means that there's no loved one there to say this is not normal there is something seriously wrong they don't usually behave like this they're not usually this distressed Uh, So many of the women in our sample were dismissed as being drunk when actually they were dying of infections or internal injuries and no one noticed because they weren't believed. So there needs to be a really good hard look at the way we treat women in custody and we need to take very seriously their complaints and their calls for help because invariably the women in our sample had asked for help And many of them had been refused help or had been turned away by health services, even when police did what they could to get support and assistance. So I think the tragic thing is that we put people in custody, remove any chance they've got of helping themselves, and then there's no one there to provide them with that help when they need it.
0: Some of the coroner's reports indicate that uh, some of these women often call for help multiple times, uh, even for hours, and no one listens to them. Is it correct to say that uh, there's uh, racism at play here?
3: Yeah, and some of the coroners actually did say that. uh, In some of the cases that we found, the coroners did say that they felt that there was racism at play here. Uh, But it wasn't actually just Indigenous women who were treated in this way. Non-Indigenous women were also disbelieved. um, And and even non-Indigenous women, particularly those who were very mentally unwell, were dismissed as having behavioral problems rather than actually being physically unwell and for some of them it turned out that they were very physically unwell and in fact were dying and the reason why they were demonstrating such bizarre behavior was because they were very medically unwell and yes what what you're saying is right we we do unfortunately see in the media It seems to be quite often women who are calling for help and and being refused or as I say sometimes help is got for them but they are turned away from health services so I think it's important to be aware that death in custody is a complex issue there's a lot going on there it's not just about women not receiving help from police uh, even though that's how sometimes it seems There were many cases in our sample where the police did do what they could to get help, but actually it was the health services that were turning the women away. So I think when we talk about systemic racism, unfortunately, it's not just there in the criminal law system. It does seem to be there to some extent in other systems as well, including the health system.
0: So this, in my view, highlights a crying need for services and support mechanism, which leads to issues actually not being detected or addressed in a more appropriate setting, and then end up spiralling down into the custodial system uh, down the line.
3: Yeah, that's true, too. Um, There were a a number of women who, who had called for help. Um, around the time of their death because they had been victims of domestic violence and unfortunately hadn't been believed um, when they had said that they were the primary victim. Uh, They weren't always taken seriously. Uh, So, yes, that's a problem, a big problem. Another problem is um, some of the women were very mentally unwell and and displaying some strange, bizarre behaviours. Uh, again, weren't provided with the mental health support that they needed. And for those women, many of them had been unwell for a long time and hadn't been able to access the help that they needed. I think what we found through this research was a lot of women who really needed some help, uh, some some medical help, some mental health care, safety, uh, housing, these are the things that these women needed uh, and unfortunately ended up, many of them, in custody out of all the research that I've done, I think that this study was was one of the saddest. These women felt hopeless and, and some of the women had actually said, especially the women who died as a, result of, as a result of suicide, did so because of the depths of their despair. They just felt they had no, no hope. Many of them had lost custody of their children uh, as a result of criminal law processes. So they lost the hope of their family and, and the support of, of their children and families and they were just so full of despair, and some of them, again, weren't safe, had nowhere safe to go.
0: And that was uh, Professor Tamara Walsh of the University of uh, Queensland. And uh, this is just part of our conversation that was recorded uh, before the program. And if you want to hear the full conversation, it's already published on our website, sbs.com.au slash radio.
5: NITV Radio. Share our stories on Facebook.
0: Welcome back. Now, the Northern Territory Parliament was expected to quickly pass an overhaul of alcohol laws last night as an urgent response to recent reports of increased violent crimes in uh, Alice Springs. The proposed legislation will reinstate alcohol bans that were lifted just eight months ago with the termination of the federal stronger future legislation. Francesca De Nocho reports.
2: After receiving national scrutiny over staggering rates of alcohol-related crime and violence in Central Australia, the Northern Territory Government has put forward legislation to Parliament today to reinstate alcohol bans in Aboriginal communities and town camps across the Northern Territory. It follows weeks of mounting pressure on the Northern Territory Chief Minister Natasha Files to reinstate the federal government's Stronger Future legislation that lapsed after 15 years in July last year. Against advice from Aboriginal leaders, the Northern Territory government introduced laws allowing affected communities to opt in to keeping the ban if they wanted to. A massive spike in alcohol related harm has forced an about face, and this week the Chief Minister will rush through laws reinstating a ban on alcohol for those communities. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese visited Alice Springs last month, ordering a snap report by Regional Controller Durell Anderson. Chief Minister Files says today's move is a result of that report.
5: The Regional Controller's report made two clear recommendations that We needed further restrictions on the flow of alcohol by temporarily declaring town camps and communities dry, and secondly, needs-based funding to address the root causes, not only of alcohol misuse, but other factors and social determinants that drive antisocial behaviour and put people in a situation of disempowerment and poverty. And so together the Territory and Commonwealth governments have accepted both of those recommendations as members of the House would be familiar.
2: Natasha Files says the new bans were temporary with the legislation allowing for a clear process of opting out.
5: This bill will strengthen alcohol restrictions so that town camps and communities will temporarily be subject to dry zones with a clear and robust process for opting out in place. As we have already um, heard in the House and, and had some debate around um It is intended that this bill would pass the House on urgency uh, and so that um, we can see this legislation come into force later this week
2: the opposition has pledged its support for the reinstatement of alcohol bans despite concerns the legislation lacks detail. Northern Territory Opposition Leader Leah Finnechiaro.
1: This government has shown that it has rushed this legislation. It is very clearly full of holes. And whilst Natasha Files wants to pretend that it isn't the return of stronger futures, it is stronger futures by another name. Unfortunately, there is very little detail in the legislation, and the government will be leaving all of it up to the regulations when they finally work out what it is they're going to be able to do.
2: Ms. Viniciaro went a step further in parliament today, singling out Labor's opt in policy in May last year, which they have now backflipped on.
1: The damage you have caused is absolutely irreversible, and it will continue. To erode people's well-being, their lives, and their livelihoods, some for the rest of their lives, and that is the reality of government, and that is the reality of poor policy choices.
2: Independent member for Araluen, Robin Lambley, supported the legislation whilst having her reservations. I will be supporting this uh, legislation before the House tonight. I'm deeply, I can hardly put it into words, I'm so deeply disgusted in this government. I'm so disappointed in how disrespectful you've been to people right across the Northern Territory, but particularly in Central Australia. I'm so disappointed and offended by how you've treated Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people in my part of the world. It is understood that under the new laws at least 60 per cent of residents must vote in favour if a community chooses to bring back alcohol, while management plans must also be approved by the Director-General of Licensing. The bill is expected to pass quickly this week. Francesca DiNuccio, SBS News.
5: NITV Radio, on radio, online, and mobile.
0: And uh, that's all uh, we have uh, for your program on NITV Radio this Wednesday afternoon. Coming to you from NAM on the Kulin Nation. I'm Bertrand Tungandami. Bertrand Tungandami, uh, thanking you for your company this Wednesday afternoon. Till next time, bye for now. Yalu.